and Hound podcast. Hello and welcome to the Horse and Hound podcast, supported this month by Bailey's Horse Feeds. I'm Polly Bryan, dressage editor here at Horse and Hound. Well, what an exciting couple of weeks of sport we've just enjoyed. From badminton to Royal Windsor and Hickstead CDI, it's been go, go, go this month and I hope you are all enjoying the start of the 2023 summer season as much as we are. In our interview this week, our showing editor Alex Robinson catches up with showing legend Jane Ross about her secrets to success. But I, I never plan. I just kind of fly by the seat of my pants and hope that the horses fly with me. <laughs> we'll then hear from Emma Short, senior nutritionist at Bailey's Horse Feeds, talking all things feeding. The first thing that I think is a good starting point is to look at what your existing feed is, is providing you and potentially looking at things like the digestible energy value of a product is a good idea. It's telling us how much energy or how many calories that product is supplying. More from Emma later on. For now, zip up your boots and let's get cracking. Hello and welcome to this week's Horse and Hound guest interview. I'm Alex Robinson, showing editor here at Horse and Hound. Uh, by the time this podcast is in your ears, Windsor Horse Show, the Royal Windsor Horse Show, will have been and gone. And what a show it was. Uh, four days of top class equestrian action. And the show rings were filled with incredible horses and ponies, both open rides and novice prospects of the future. It was definitely a different year this season as the late Queen was not present at the show and it was definitely felt there was definitely an air of sadness but the competition was was as strong as ever and there was some really really lovely champions crowned and one rider who was in the winnings all week as per usual was show producer Jane Ross who were very honoured to have on this week's podcast. Um, so hi Jane how was Windsor for you? Hi there lovely to be here thank you for asking me. Um, it was tiring, but as always, wonderful, because it has just got a very unique atmosphere all of its own. Um, and so it was lovely to be back there, even though it was very different, um, not having Her Majesty wandering around mm -hmm. um, amongst the crowd and things. But, um, it, you know, it made its own way and it's, it's got to find a future and it's just lovely to be back there, really. Super. And we'll just run down a few of your, your winners. So you started off, um, I think it was with the heavyweight, Rose Bailey's Twin Shock Warrior, obviously such a prolific boy. Uh, how did he find, um, so the Hunters were in the, it held in the Castle Arena for the first time in a few years, the, the three classes, the lightweights, middleweights and heavyweights. How did he like being in that ring and what kind of ride did he give you on the day? Oh, he loves a big ring and he plays to a bit of an atmosphere, that horse. Um, so he appreciated the, the, the amount of room we had and the lovely going. Um, and he gave me a fantastic ride. He's, he's pretty reliable, touch wood, most days now. Um, he, he enjoys his showing and he's a bit of a showman. So he's able to really let down and cover the ground in that big ring. And he was superb. He was, he was really lovely. Fabulous. And then Rose was back in action uh, herself later in the day on her own Bloomfield Greystones. Uh, so he's a, he's a grey gelding. Can you just tell us a little bit about him, Jane? He won the, um, the heavyweight amateur class and was section reserve, wasn't he? 
Yes, he did that on the Thursday afternoon. Um, it's not great weather, I have to say. Um, pretty cold and pretty damp and getting a bit windy, but um, he is a saint of a horse. He's the most wonderful, wonderful horse mm-hmm. uh, with the most perfect temperament for a show horse. And Rose bought him literally just before Christmas. Um, and she struck up an immediately good partnership with him and she rode him a few times at home. She's been out a couple of times. She was amateur champion um, earlier on in the year on him. And that was her first big show on him. So he gave her the most wonderful, wonderful opportunity to have fun in the main ring and things. And she thoroughly enjoyed herself. He's, he's just one of those horses that was born to be lovely. He was, he was born perfect. Oh, brilliant. And then you were back in the ring on Friday in, a, um, in the competitive Cobb classes and you won a really strong novice class with Lisette Roberts, Randallstown aristocrat. And then he actually went through the card to take reserve champion in the Castle Arena. And yeah, as I said, Jane, he's just a novice. So how did he take to the atmosphere and yeah, what are your thoughts on him? Well, he's a fabulous horse for the future. Um, he has been a little bit of a slow burner initially because um, he's he's had a couple of quieter years and he was broken late and came into the game a little bit late. He's a horse that tends to worry a little bit if he doesn't get things right. So we've tried to take him very quietly and very carefully and calmly and make sure that he's realized that he can take a breath and enjoy life, um, mm-hmm. and which he's now beginning to do. And, and that showed actually on Friday that he was really beginning to sort of soak up the atmosphere and use it to his advantage mm-hmm. as opposed to worry about it. So he, he was amazing. He belied his years and his experience, really, and, and got better and better as the day went on. So uh, he gave a lovely ride to the ride judge, um, Sarah Kate Howard, who is a fabulous, fabulous rider anyway. But he really went from strength to strength and started to really lower and move and cover the ground. And I think that's then what happened um, in the championship. He, he went in there and he just loved it and he put his best foot forward literally um and he really gave me a fantastic ride so um very very exciting for a novice to be able to go and take a reserve championship like that in amongst all the others because it's it's a unique championship there with all the amateurs and the weight corbs and the novices and the maxes all going in Mm. together um and it just fills that lovely big arena and it's a really good spectacle and it's actually a really lovely championship to ride in so thrilling to be pulled forward as reserve on that little cob because you know he's never done anything like that before in his life. I have to tell you, he's been asleep ever since. He's um, <laughs> he's it's actually I think he he took it all in and then it just went into his little head and he's I think probably replaying every every moment of it at the moment. <laughs> he's very very quiet still. <laughs> oh, that's baby horses for you, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It is. But that's lovely, um, isn't it? That, that that lovely innocence you know yeah he's such an exciting one I have to say I I loved watching him in the in the castle arena um and then we had uh your groom Olivia Minahane she had her own moment in the spotlight on on Sunday when she won the intermediate working hunter championship with her, her own horse um do you know much about him Jane well, yes, funnily enough, she bought him off us. That's actually the first time we ever met Olivia a good few years ago. Um, he's a lovely young horse that uh, we had um, as a three-stroke four-year-old. Uh, we'd bought him off the Tatlows, mm-hmm. where um, you know, he sourced quite a lot of our horses over the years. Um, and we were rather hoping he was going to be a small hunter. But in his formative years, sort of like three, four, five, he was tiny. He was only mm-hmm. just nudging 15-1. Um, and he, he didn't really make up um, and t- to what he is now until over the last few years. But we did always know he had one heck of a jump in him. So uh, when Olivia came along wanting 
um, something to, to sort of do intermediates and workers and flat classes as well. He fitted the bill really and, mm. and they've just become the most wonderful partnership. He's a really bonny little horse. He's full of it, as you could probably see in the <laughs> ring the other day. You know, he, he, um, you'd never get to the bottom of him and he, he'd hunt all day nonstop. And he is exactly what everybody would like to see. Um, he jumped a fantastically around in the grown-up workers as well, in the horse workers, the lightweight workers on the um, Thursday morning. So, um, yeah, he was third in that class. So he had a really lovely show. And it's, it's very exciting for Olivia to do something like that because she works so hard and it's lovely for her to have a moment in the spotlight too. Yeah. I know him as Jerry Jane. What, what's his uh, official show name? Um, he's called Verve Cleek. Okay. Um, after the champagne. Uh, <laughs> funnily enough, we're, we're all quite sort of partial to the odd drop of <laughs> champagne. And, for sure. Uh, and it's a very fitting name for him being that sort of chestnut, gold chestnut colour at the time. So that's, yeah, that's where he got his name from. Oh, wonderful. Well, I'm glad you had uh, um, another successful week at Windsor. And Jane, even though it's the time of year where with show horses, we're constantly planning ahead and, you know, looking to the future and where we're heading next, we thought it would be nice just to take you back, if if you don't mind, and go over a few of those main horses from from over your career who have put you where you are today. Um, So who would you classify, Jane, as your first very prolific show horse? Um, Well, I was very lucky because when I started many 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 moons ago um i was lucky enough to ride the um a show pony called cusop pirouette for dr and mrs gilbert scott and and their children simon and carol who later became um, very prolific producers in their own right uh and so age nine i managed to win the pony of the year horse of the air show on that that gave me my first little taster um but over the years i've had some fabulous horses um I suppose probably the, the first one to sort of really put me on the map um, was probably Sudden Flight, which was a lovely chestnut horse that used to do the ladies, belonging to a fabulous guy called Norman Swallow, who sadly passed away not very long ago. Um, but he was a great horse, and he gave me uh, my first ladies win at the Horse of the Air show. Um, and I think probably I was completely bitten by the bug after that and, and couldn't get out of it. But um, I've been so lucky because I've had the most amazing horses over the years. Mm. You know, things like the Philanderer, who was the fabulous grey riding horse that went supreme at the Horse of the Air show and twice at the Royal International. Um, he wasn't easy, but he was great, great fun. Um, and then the, the fabulous Humdinger, the coloured cob over the years. Oh, yeah, of course. He was, he was great fun too. Um, so yeah, I've been so lucky and, and sort of latterly to have had the likes of um, Betty, Time to Reflect, who's so special in everybody's eyes. Um, she, she was supreme at the Horse of the Air show a couple of years ago, having won the ladies class there. Um, but she was twice supreme at the international and to gallop her around a big arena like Hickstead was just so thrilling. Um, yeah, and then Twin Shot Warrior has, has you know, been fabulous for me. And, gave me my seventh championship at the Horse of the Air Show, supreme-wise. So, you know, they're all so unique and so terribly special in their own way. And each has their own story and their own reason to be cherished, really, in the memories. Mm -hmm. And is there any um, out of that particular list who you would like to have now? I mean, it's quite hard to say, I could imagine, but it's the one that, you know, you just think, oh, I'd love to to bring them back in, you know, as a four-year-old and have them in the yard and have that all again. 
Oh yes, we'd we'd always we all want Betty back. We we would all love another time to reflect. I mean, who wouldn't? Because she was just so easy as well as being so special, um, and just everybody's favourite at home and at a show. So you know they broke the mould after her. Um, but I wouldn't say no to another Hundinger either. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. So no, they're all. I, I'd have them all back in a flash. I really would. <laughs> I'd love to do it all over again. I'm just getting a bit long in the tooth myself now. So. Um, you know, I can just reminisce and, and wish I could start it all over again. <laughs> and the Humdinger, so he was the um, the very legendary coloured cob who won, you know, titles at all all shows. Do you remember where he came from, Jane, where he was discovered? Yes. Oh, yes. He was, again, found another one found by David Tatlow mm -hmm. um, in a field um, on a hill under a tree, literally oh, wow. with another 25 horses in the pouring rain, blowing a gale. And David rang me. I was... Um, at a show or at some sort of exhibition or something and he rang me and he said this has got to be quick because I'm in the middle of nowhere in Ireland but I've seen a coloured cob and he said I don't know what it is I don't know how high it is how tall it is what age it is or anything he said but I've seen it trot and stop and I'm looking at it now and it's a real humdinger of a horse um, and I said right then let's let's go for it and that's how he was named, literally in that second. <laughs> so he came from somewhere in the middle of nowhere in Ireland in a bog. <laughs> wow. Um, and just over the years, again, Jane, did you have a horse who was perhaps, you know, challenged you in, in more ways than one? Um, you know, one that particularly stands out as being the most difficult that, you know, I guess equally rewarding. Yeah. So uh, the Philander would have been pushing most people's buttons for many years. Um, he was not straightforward. He wouldn't go into a stable if you changed the colour of his water bucket or something like that because he was so spooky and so nervous of, of things. But he was another one that used to get to the horse of the air show and just somehow want to be near you. He, he wasn't interested in you most of the other time, but he'd get to the horse of the air show and he'd suddenly become like mummy's best friend. And he'd give you his all, always. Um, which he didn't always do at the other shows. Um, but he was, yes, the first year we took him, it took me probably 15 minutes to get him around the outside of the ring. Um, and we were lucky enough, you know, at the Horse of the Year show, you are able to do some work in the indoor arena very early in the morning before it all gets going. Um, and thank goodness, because I don't think I'd got him in the ring that first year <laughs> otherwise. And it could have been a very different story for the rest of his uh, career. But there we go. There we go. And um these Supremes at Horse of the Year Show and the Royal International Jane, they're the ones that everyone wants to win and that every, you know, professional amateurs are like, big aim. Um, how do you go into these Supremes and what are your tactics? Um, I mean, you've won so many of them over the over your career. Yeah, well, how do you how do you go about winning such a championship? Is there any tactics you could reveal? <laughs> well, I, I must have had a lot of luck over the years, I think, but um, I'm, I never really plan anything because you never know with a horse when it walks into any ring, no matter how many times it's been in there or what the atmosphere is like. You don't know until you get in there how they're going to feel, what you feel you can ask them to do, how much pressure you can put on them. So I tend to go in, you know, you have to go in and stand and, and each give an individual show in both of these championships. And they're two very different places. One in the enclosed space in Birmingham is a bit like asking a horse to go and do a, a performance of some sort in the middle of Harrods. So, um, you know, you have to be very careful where you go, what, you, what you're heading towards. And if you've got something that maybe doesn't like the idea of going past a lot of people chattering and laughing, you know, you maybe move away from there and, and start your show somewhere else. And 
uh, the same at the international, you know, when you get into that big outdoor arena, you have to play to your horse's best qualities, really, um, and hope that you can just hit the right spot at the right moment and, and just be aware of your surroundings. But I, I never plan. I just kind of fly by the seat of my pants and hope that the horses fly with me. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it seems to be a very winning solution. And um, Jane, we're going to jump to the future now. Got a, obviously got a beautiful string of horses for the season. Is there any particular rides you, you're particularly excited about this year you could just mention? Obviously, we've talked about the lovely Cobb Randallstown aristocrat. Um, any any others you are um, yeah, excited to, to show this term? We've just got some lovely young horses in the yard. Um, we had one or two that couldn't go to Windsor for various reasons. Uh, because of connections to um, owners and, and things like that. So um, we've got the lovely young horse, King of Clubs, who mm. was the large riding horse that was second at the Horse of the Air Show and Reserve Champion last year in his first season. Um, he won the novices last year at Windsor, but sadly couldn't contest this year because um, his owner has an association with some of the people that run the show. So he was on the sidelines for it this year. So, But he's a very special horse and um, he's been out twice and been champion twice. So looking forward to running him again quite shortly. Um, we've just got such lovely young horses. I've got a lovely riding horse that my daughter and I own together called Party Planner. Um, he's very special. He has got a slightly quirky temperament, so you have to sort of suggest rather than um, demand with him. Uh, mm -hmm. So he's going to take time, but he's very special. Um, and just a group of really lovely young horses coming on. My cobs I love. Um, and the little heavyweight cob that was second the other day in his first open season, Indigo Marvel, he's also very special. And so I'm just so lucky to have a yard full of horses that I think I wouldn't want to swap for anything. Oh. Well, fabulous. Thank you so much, Jane. And um, we can't wait to hear about those results later in the year. And thank you so much for taking some time out of your busy schedule to join us today. Uh, yeah, thank you so much. Thank you very much. Best of luck, everybody. Big thanks to Jane Ross there. Now over to hear Features Editor Martha Terry chatting with Emma Short, Senior Nutritionist at Bailey's Horse Feeds, the sponsor of this episode. Emma's going to be answering some common feeding questions and queries for us. Hello, I'm Martha Terry, I'm Features Editor at Horse and Hound and on this episode we're going to discuss a few feeding questions that crop up at this time of year and it's great to have Emma Short with us. She's a Senior Nutritionist at Bailey's Horse Feeds and she's going to help us through some feeding myths and what what to feed our horses and when. Hi Emma, great to have you with us. Thanks so much, it's nice to be here. So let's start with grass. We're finally heading into summer and the grass is growing and the cost of living crisis is still biting really hard. So some of us might be tempted to turn our horses out just to eat grass and maybe cut, cut their feet right back or stop feeding, particularly if they're good doers. What's your take on that? Yeah, so our extensive forage and pasture analysis show that this isn't the case. So we look at a lot of hay, haylage um, and grasses for our customers um, and therefore we have a lot of information available to us um, which tells us things like the mineral content for example, protein levels, energy etc. Um, and we see sort of key um, deficiencies in minerals such as copper and zinc. Um, so if you for example were to look at say our average sort of 500 kilo horse even at rest or just in light levels of work um, grass pasture on average only provides 61% of a horse's minimum 
daily copper requirements and 67% of minimum daily zinc requirements. So you can imagine, obviously, for those horses in harder work intensities, breeding stock or the young sort of growing animal, that these deficiencies are elevated even more. And actually, we also see that things like calcium and phosphorus, as well as protein, um, is too low, particularly in, in breeding stock and, and the growing young horse. So what you'll find typically at this time of year, um, which is why many of you know many people do stop feeding, is that your grass is likely um, to partially, if not maybe fully satisfy or even exceed energy or calorie requirements for those particularly in light levels of work or at rest. Um, so we obviously automatically think, okay, we need we need to feed less. That you know they're they're getting um, too heavy, um, but we also see sort of protein levels also at this time of year. Um, being sort of at the peak or, or, or the highest that we see. But the issue that we have is that this quickly sort of drops. So actually, when you're looking at protein levels um, in particular, they will drop quite quickly um, to sort of almost the lowest down into July, and then they'll have another little flurry again sort of coming into autumn. So it's it's not a consistent source of nutrients. It's it's very variable, in, and, it, and it sort of moves around. Mm, so basically, they're not getting what they need from grass. They're getting the calories, but not much else. So, so what sort of implications do these shortfalls, you mentioned copper and zinc and calcium, what, what happens when the horse doesn't get enough of them? Yeah, so when you're looking at things like copper and zinc, um, they're involved in several essential roles, so including growth um, and connective tissue health, if you're looking at the, the young horse. Um, they're also important with things like enzyme function, iron metabolism, um, and as well as sort of supporting the nervous system. Things like your calcium and phosphorus, which are maybe minerals that we're more um, maybe aware of. Um, they're major minerals in bone. Um, and in addition, your calcium is required for muscle contraction phosphorus is essential for energy production so you can see that when there's a shortfall of any of these minerals um, that that can have quite sort of a, an impact on our horses things like protein as well um, so if protein sort of being sort of is it's fluctuating um, an insufficient protein can sort of manifest itself as sort of poor hoof growth for example you may have sort of poor coats or skin conditions you may find that your horses are losing muscle um, and top line and they may also have sort of reduced levels of stamina as well that's really interesting because i think quite a lot of people worry that about the amount of protein they're feeding that you know might make horses yeah. fizzy is that not not a concern no, not really. So that is certainly protein, unfortunately, um, has been sort of been given sort of a, a bad time of it, I think, over the years. Um, protein is essentially um, a building block, if you like. So it's really essential for, as we've already just said, sort of muscle development to repair, rebuild, um, hoof, coat, skin condition and growth and health. Um, it's involved in lots of different things, so the production of hormones, enzymes, antibodies, so it's a really vital nutrient. Um, but absolutely, yeah, your, your protein has been associated with, with increased um, sort of energy levels. And I think I think what sometimes has happened is if you consider, say, the grass at this time of year, for example, um, yes, your protein levels are elevated because the grass is growing, um, but that also coincides with a higher energy or calorie content as well. So I think potentially what has happened in the past is that we associate higher protein with maybe higher energy levels purely because they do tend to go hand in hand. Again, if you maybe look at sort of certain concentrated feeds as well, um, 
those products that maybe have higher levels of energy because they're designed for horses maybe in harder levels of work. Um, we'll also have higher levels of protein and maybe also higher levels of cereals such as starch. So you can see that maybe there is an association there, but no, your protein is a very inefficient um, energy source for the horse. And if there is adequate energy coming from things like your carbohydrates, so whether that's your cereals or your fibers um, or fats, then actually the, the horse um, you know, will will not use it. That's really interesting. So it's sort of an associated problem. I um, believe so. Yeah. Yeah. And and the shortfalls you've talking talked about. Um, what should owners be feeding to provide what might be missing? Yeah, absolutely. So at this time of year, when grass is more calorific and your horse is a good doer, so doesn't need any more than the grass is providing. A balancer is ideal as it's low in calories, but provides the essential nutrients. So your quality protein, your vitamins and minerals that are lacking. Um, but you could also consider a vitamin and mineral supplement as well. So it does depend on how well the horse is obviously maintaining and holding weight. So if you're finding that you have a horse that's doing very well on forage alone um, and is maintaining a good weight, has adequate levels of energy for the work, etc., that you're asking of it, um, then your balances, your vitamin and mineral supplements can be an ideal option because they will help to counteract the shortfalls essentially within, within the grass. Um, the difference really between the two, so if you're having a look at your balances and your vitamin and mineral supplements, um, as I said, your balances provide you with that quality protein as well as your vitamins and minerals. So what that allows you to do is be more consistent, if you like, as we go through the growing season. So we've already touched on the fact that your protein tends to drop and, it, and it's starting to drop now until we go right down into July. And as I say, we tend to get a little bit more of a flurry moving into autumn but it will again drop coming into winter so what the balances allow you to do is allows your diet to be more consistent um, but at this time of year your vitamin mineral supplement may well be adequate if your horses have got you know good access to grass and your grass quality is good the protein levels are high but what I would say is if you have horses that may be um, in harder levels of work, so anything sort of moderate to harder levels of work, young stock, um, you know, breeding stock, then you will need um, potentially more than what your vitamin and mineral supplements are, are maybe going to supply. Okay, so the bottom line is that they need all those vitamins and minerals and they don't just come from the grass, basically. They really do, absolutely. And there are shortfalls, even though, you know, we can see our grass growing in abundance at this time mm. of year and our horses are generally looking much better, they're holding mm. weight much better. Um, yeah, unfortunately, there, there are shortfalls. Yeah, and if, if say, you have a horse that, that does still need additional feed, but perhaps a bit less now because the grass content's much higher, um, are there implications of cutting back a mix or cube or can I just go ahead and feed less than what's recommended on the bag? Yeah, absolutely. So when we are formulating um, a mix, a cube, a blend um, and also balances, um, they're designed to be fed to a certain um, body weight. Um, they're also designed to be fed um, to a horse at a different sort of workloads, maybe age or reproductive statuses. So they're, they're targeted to be fed at a certain amount. Um, also alongside what we class as average quality forage. So what happens if you were to cut back on these products and feed less? What effectively you're doing is you may be feeding less in order to control calorie or energy intake, but what you may find um, or what you will find is that your nutrient levels will also 
be reduced as well. So what you'll find then is the diet then becomes deficient um, in what we were saying, particularly things like your vitamins and minerals and potentially your, your quality protein. So what you may find is that you are feeding a product um, that may be well suited for your horse, um, but if you're cutting back, then actually you may find that product's not doing the job. You may find that maybe energy levels start to reduce. You may find that they lose weight, um, maybe muscle tone, for example, as well. So the easiest option and the best option is you can cut these products back in order to maybe reduce calorie energy intake if you need to. But what we would recommend is that you top up with a balancer. So you can use reduced amounts of a balancer to push in those vitamins, the minerals and the quality protein that you've reduced by reducing your cube mix or blend. And that way then you can adjust your calorie intake whilst making sure that the diet is still fully balanced. Brilliant, that's really helpful. And for owners who do feel that they are needing to change their feed, whether it's behavior or condition or whatever, at this time of year, because the seasons are changing, what sort of things should they be looking for? Yeah, I think it sort of opens another question to sort of why they need to change their diet um, and then what they need to look for. So are they changing their diet because they need maybe more calories, fewer calories because the grass is so good? Um, is their workload changing? So are they you know, moving into the competition season, for example, and therefore their workload's increasing? They may need more energy, maybe more nutrients um, to support those horses in harder levels of work. Or they may possibly need maybe more, you know, more calories to, you know, to support weight, particularly if workload's going up. So the first thing that I think um, is a good starting point is to look at what your existing feed is, is providing you and potentially looking at things like the digestible energy value of a product is a good idea. So what this tells us, it is telling us how much energy or how many calories that product is supplying. So if you're looking to reduce um, energy or calorie intake, then you may need to look at a product with a lower digestible energy. Equally, if you need more digestible energy, if your workload is going up, um, then potentially you need a product with a higher digestible energy content. But be aware that um, you need to look at and consider things like your feeding rates. So you might have a product maybe with a which may look like a higher digestible energy content, you know, content or, or product, but actually if you're feeding much smaller quantities of that product, then actually the amount of energy or calories that you're getting from that um, particular product or ingredient is, is going to be quite low. Um, Protein levels are also a really important um, thing that we need to focus on and also the quality of the protein that we're providing our horses. So increased requirements for protein occur during harder work intensities, growth and development in young stock, um, as well as the brood mare, particularly during lactation in order to support milk production. And actually, this is maybe a little bit more technical, but simply increasing the overall total or crude protein content of the diet is not ideal. So protein essentially is made up of what we call amino acids, some of which are essential, such as lysine, which you may have seen on the backs of your um, sort of feed bags. And that must be present in order for the horse to make new proteins that the body needs. So if it is present in maybe a smaller quantity than is required, then protein sort of production or synthesis can be affected and the horse essentially can be what we call protein deficient. So it's really important that the, the quality of the protein is provided, particularly as our forages tend to have quite poor levels of lysine, for example. Um, and it's also really important sort of going back to um, 
looking at things like percentages so not to get really hung up on percentages so we can look at things like protein levels for example and when you're looking on the back of the sack we will give you what we call crude protein so it tells you how much total protein you have within your products um, and when you're looking at things like a balancer for example you may find that the crude protein level may be quite high at say 25 percent um, but actually you're feeding those products in very small amounts so a balancer typically is fed at around 100 grams per 100 kilos of body weight whereas something like a cube for example that may only have 10 percent protein is fed at much higher levels so say half a kilo per 100 kilos of body weight so what you're finding actually is although your protein looks quite high in a balancer when you're feeding again that 500 kilo horse actually your balancer is providing say 125 grams of protein whereas a cube with a lower protein content is actually supplying more at 250 grams so i think amounts quantities don't get too hung up on percentages and i think digestible energy and quality protein are, are really key things to consider at this time of year brilliant that's a great way to sum it up um, thank you so much for coming on the show and and sharing your knowledge and there's plenty for us to take on board thank you thank you Thank you so much to Emma for all of that amazing insight. And I really hope you've all enjoyed listening to this episode of the Horse and Hound podcast, sponsored this month by Bailey's Horse Feeds. We'll be back in June with plenty more. In the meantime, please do rate, review and share the podcast in your podcast app to help us grow our Horse and Hound podcast family. We'll be back soon. The Horse and Hound podcast is a Media Cage production.